0: Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more episodes of this show, head to cageclub.me slash believe. To check out other great shows, head to cageclub.me. If you have an idea for a show topic, would like to be a guest, want to tell me how much you like the show, or how much you hate it, or just want to say hi, send me an email. John at cageclub.me. That's J-O-H-N at cageclub.me.
1: Hey, Joey, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back for talking about my favorite 90s show and then my favorite show of all time. Does that say something about me that The Leftovers is my favorite? I mean, it is also, I think, maybe the most depressing show of all time. Well, I,
0: I didn't know that it had achieved your favorite show status um, mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it certainly is one of the most depressing shows of all time. So I I remember when I did my first episode and I... Reached out to you and I was like, "What do you want to talk about in the first episode?" And and mm-hmm. you said, um, "X Files and especially Scully." And I was like, "Cool, great topic." And then right before we recorded, you were like, "Oh, you know, I should have said leftovers." Yeah, um, and I was like, "Well, we'll we'll do a leftovers episode at some point." Um, so that's what today's going to be. Kind of, we have Liza Richardson. Joey, do you know who? <laughs> do you know who Liza Richardson is, Joey? I sure do do you want to inform the
1: mass public oh i live- hope i get it right so she is the she's the music supervisor on both the leftovers and watchmen and lots of other wonderful projects so she is the one who helps damon lindelof and the other showrunners and creators and writers and everybody find the music that goes into the episodes and make sure that they can clear it that they can use it in the movie in the movie or the show or whatever and uh, adds a whole other dynamic of things that are just absolutely wonderful the music in both of these shows is so good.
0: Yeah, yeah. So for anybody listening who hasn't seen The Leftovers, um, it might be a little weird as to, like, why would we want to talk to the person who is the music supervisor? Like, sure, I guess that's interesting. But, you know, the music in Leftovers is in and of itself like its own character. Um, and that's what sort of makes her work on that show so significant and outstanding. And, and, I, and she's just been nominated for an Emmy, and the Emmy Awards will be in a few days. We'll see if she wins, and I hope she does. Uh, but she was nominated for an Emmy for Watchmen, um, in which the music, in a similar way, plays kind of a character, but, but not in the way it does
1: with The Leftovers. Um, you've watched The Watchmen, I'm assuming. It was my favorite show from last year. So, okay, okay. Yeah. let me let me just quickly clarify, not to derail this completely. My favorite show <laughs> yeah. of the 90s, ni- the best, the best way I can describe it, the bet, my favorite show of the '90s is the X Files. Okay, my favorite show of the '2000s is a little show that the guy who made The Leftovers and then Watchmen did first, or not first, but before these, Lost, mm-hmm. and my favorite show of the '2010s and ever is Leftovers. And I think you know, I I kind of wish for this weird. The delineation that I'm making, these mile markers that I'm setting, that Watchmen had come out this year, so it could be like, oh, cool, so it's already my favorite show of the 2020s. We're good. I mean, it's it's not. I I, I would love it to come back. I don't know what it's going to come back, but mm-hmm. you know, it was my favorite show from last year. So yes, I adore it. Well, it's telling that
0: it was nominated for a whole bunch of Emmys, and every one of them is in the category of limited series. Uh, so the Emmy awards don't seem to think it's a long term <laughs> it's a long term series well, so the the
1: the status right now as far as i understand is that Damon Lindelof has basically said i would love the show to go on i don't want to do it anymore that i would love somebody else to take the mantle and run with it um mm-hmm. which you know if if they're able to keep it up by all means yes if he wants to go back by all means yes otherwise i am uh, i love the the one season that we got
0: so, if we can just get back to leftovers for a second, um, you know you know it sort of inside and out. Um, how would you how would you explain or how would you describe the role that the musical selections and the cues um, play in the show? That's because, like, the way I see it is that there really isn't another show like it where every sort of element of the creation of that show is important to telling the story. Um, and the music is, is, has to be perfect. And like, it always is right. Like how, how would you describe it?
1: I mean, it's additive in a way that like makes you wonder why everybody else isn't as good at their job. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. I don't know that we're going to ask the specific thing, but you know, in season one, when Nora, I guess we're going to spoil the shit out of leftovers, right? Like we're going to right or no. Are but, we? If you haven't watched leftovers, we are going to spoil the ever living shit out of out of left. Okay, yeah. so like in season one, when Nora puts on her bulletproof vest and calls over that escort and is just like, "I want you to shoot me," and her name is Angel, and there's the Slayer song "Angel of Death," and it's like, what? Like, how does this like? like I don't <laughs> know. With, like the process of that, like that's like incredibly funny. It's also like an incredibly dark scene. I don't know if. They had the idea, and then she had the song, and then... Cause like if that, it could be any metal song, right? Like it could just, right. She's just playing it for noise to make sure that her neighbors don't hear a gunshot. Uh, so it could be any thrash metal song, ostensibly, or any kind of song that just plays really loud. But then to have it be a song called Angel of Death, and the character, the escort, is named Angel, like... It works. It adds to the script. It adds to the story. It adds to the experience. It intertwines in ways, like I said before, that it makes you wonder why more shows don't use music to help tell the story as opposed to just like, oh yeah, there's a metal song because whatever. Like It's Mm -hmm. like, oh no, there's more to it. There's another dimension. There's another layer here.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, If you haven't Watched leftovers yet? Go do that and then listen
1: to this episode because it's not a ton of, but there's 28 episodes, which I mean I guess is a lot, but you know we're in quarantine still ish, right? So
0: that's true, but I would say that like I I watched it. You know, I watched it when it was over. um Pretty, oh, really? Pretty, yeah, and I think it was pretty soon, or maybe it was as no, it was as season three was ending. I, I watched okay. the finale live, so to speak. Um. But I was talking to you throughout the process of watching it and how, like I can binge shows, I can I can watch several episodes. I I could never watch more than two leftovers in a single day because oh, I, is,
1: I had to quit on Mad Men because I was like, This is depressing me beyond oh, me like, too. just every <laughs> every character is like, Oh no, they all hate their lives. I can't do this and so like I'm gonna yeah. go back to that. But I, it's the same thing, like I'm like, I don't know if I should be watching this right now, but I I did, you know. So again, I mean but even in
0: even in COVID world, um, the thirty episodes of leftovers, you should give yourself a month and a half for because like it's just too much to take in a in a sort of eating it like candy sort of way so go take a month go watch the leftovers um admire how incredible liza's work is and then come back and listen to the show and hear what she has to say um and let's let's hear what she has to say so i'm john brooks and i'm joey lewandowski and this is hard to believe Welcome. I, I know you've been doing a lot of interviews lately. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Part of the reason for that is because we should we should mention that you are nominated for an Emmy uh, yeah. for the first time. Is that right?
2: First nomination, and but it's I, it's a new category. It's this is the third year they've had this music supervision category, so it's kind of a new thing.
1: Well, third time's the charm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: <laughs> you started out
0: as a as a DJ. Uh, that was your that was your primary career for a long time. How did you get into um supervising music for uh television shows especially yeah. and and movies?
2: Yeah, um well, yes, I still am a DJ and I've been a DJ since like, you know, the 80s. Um so yeah, it's been forever. Um <clears throat> but yeah, it was my prime focus for many years and then I would say, let's see. Okay, so here's my little origin story for music supervision, which as a DJ in the nineties at KCRW, I was given the assignment of a show that would feature poetry and spoken word in whatever form you know possible. And I would layer it with music. It was a show called Man in the Moon, and the focus with spoken word. Poetry layered with music. But I mean, I would use different sources of of words, whether it, I I would invite actors to come in and record, I would invite writers, poets to come in and record at KCRW. Um, But I also collected vinyl, um, you know, and CDs and just different recordings of, this was the 90s, so it was not really. Napster may have barely have begun then, I think. I can't remember what year that was, but Digital file, Files, it was all about, you know, having the CDs. And, I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, so, um, so basically I have this massive, awesome collection. Um, well, I don't know about massive, but it's a great collection of spoken word and stuff. You know, all kinds of things, like I'm just looking over here at a pile of, like there's like Folk Tales from Africa, read by Eartha Kitt, or, you know, Albert Camus play performed at the Teatro de, you know, something. (laughs) Um, So what happened during that time? Someone introduced me to a filmmaker who was making a documentary about poetry called The United States of Poetry. The director's name is Mark Pellington, and um, Mark was in New York. Somebody connected us, and they bought me a ticket to fly to New York with my suitcase full of instrumental music CDs because Mark was looking for music that would work well with the poetry that he was featuring in his documentary. So this documentary, United States of Poetry, was my first experience as really more of a music consultant. Um, I didn't know that music supervision was a career or existed or anything Mm -hmm. like that. uh, (laughs) We sat there for like a week every day, like you know, he would play me a piece of poetry and I would play him different pieces of music that I thought might work. And we landed on a bunch. And then I helped him and his uh, colleagues try to clear everything or reach the the rights owners, which, you know, that was my first experience even into the idea of clearance. You know, I had no idea what what it took. But anyway, during that time is when Mark Pellington, who, by the way, I work with on his films to this day, um, he's the one that said, you know, Hey people do this for a living. I wasn't aware of that at the time I was doing also I was doing scouting for Geffen records and, and trying to become an a and R person so I just thought wow kind of a light bulb went off in my head um, that you know maybe maybe instead of doing uh a and R, I could do music supervision, but I still wanted to be a full-time DJ. But then when I didn't get the job that I wanted as a DJ, which was host of Morning Becomes Eclectic in like, I think it was like the year 2000 or 99 when Nick Harcourt took over. It was that, that time that I was really gunning for that job. I didn't get it. And at that point is when I just said, okay, you got to take something, uh, another kind of career seriously. So I tried... Voiceover and I tried music supervision kind of simultaneously and ended up like music supervision um, just kind of kept moving forward in a fun direction.
0: So, your Emmy nomination is for Watchmen, and um, you also were the music supervisor on Leftovers. So, so can you, how did you, how did you um, and Damon Lindelof end up uh, connecting? Um, that, that seems to be a really sort of fruitful uh, partnership already.
2: Oh, I, I, I love him. He's just such a great person, and he just really supports everybody on his team. Um, but anyway, yeah, I met him through Peter Berg. Okay, so Pete was a producer on Leftovers. And so um, when that show got picked up, he said, hey, come you know, work with us on the pilot. And at that time is when I met Damon. Pete directed the pilot, but Damon was going to be uh, you know, taking over as showrunner.
0: So you have a long resume. If you go to your IMDb page of the um, music that you've uh, supervised, um, all these different series. Um, but there seems to be there, there's there's a uh, there's certain series like The Leftovers that uh, it appears that you uh, you've I don't know, there's there's more of an emotional connection to. Um, obviously, Leftovers is a very emotional show. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it different? I, I know that you just kind of love. You know, playing with music, and, and and it's a it's a great job. Um, what's the difference when you have a show that you really find a um, a real emotional connection with?
2: The ones that come up like more in topics like leftovers, Watchmen, Narcos, mm-hmm. Barry, those are the ones that um, that get the most attention. Period. It's,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So I end up talking about them the most. So, um, I really do love, 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 not all my shows, <laughs> but I love most of them. And I love, um, like a lot of my network shows, like for, for example, the rookie, I really love working on that show because again, really nice people, um, supportive environment. Um, and I love all my CBS shows, like Hawaii 5 o for me was the first show that I worked on that was sort of more mainstream than you would think of Liza Richards. Like I came from KCRW. I came from this artsy background. I came from poetry and spoken word. And I quickly realized that not all jobs in the world of music supervision were these, you know, radical works of art, but I really wanted to prove myself as somebody who could do anything and who could do mainstream music and wasn't just An artiste. It's funny because now during COVID, I've gotten just way more into nerddom and being an artiste again. (laughs) Um, But you know, just in terms of my choices of listening to music, like I, if you check out like my Spotify uh, profile and all the playlists I've been working on for the past six months, it's it's definitely you know nerdy time, but. 10, 12 years ago, when I got, or eleven, about 11 years ago, when I started working on 5.0, I just really wanted to prove to CBS and to the world that, not to the world, but, you know, to the people that could possibly hire me, that I can do mainstream style music supervision. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Leftovers, to me, is just one of my all-time favorite shows. So is Friday Night Lights.
0: Mm-hmm. So the musical landscape of leftovers is very eclectic and that's one of the things that makes it um so sort of monumental (laughs) in in in, it and joey and i were talking about this before uh you came on that that it's a show where every element of it is so precise and so Sort of finely crafted um, and the the acting is perfect and the casting is perfect and the, you know the production design is perfect and the music is the music is perfect and I wonder like so so working on a show as the super, supervisor um, in that capacity um, how much creative freedom do you have so i'm gonna I'm gonna sort of cake this into in, in a in a in a story um, Joey was the one who actually got me to watch The Leftovers. You're welcome. And, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I would we would text a lot as I was going through it um, with you know commentary and that sort of thing. And I think it was at the, somewhere at the end of season two where I was like, whoever the musical supervisor is for the show is a genius. <laughs> right? And that's and that's when we kind of both kind of figured out who you were and um, and started looking into it. And and the moment for me where I was like, oh my God. Um, and Joey also has a similar moment uh, that he can talk about. The moment for me where I was like, oh my God, was um, when you included uh, I've Been buked um, I- at the end of an episode. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is like a deep, deep cut. I used to sing spiritual and gospel music. So I know that because I've been taught it, right? But like, that's just not something that you would ever... And it was it was so perfect in the way that it was um, put into, into the episode. So how much, how much creative freedom do you have? Because so much of the music that's included in that show is just so – it's almost like the scene is almost built around the music sometimes.
2: You know, a, a music supervisor really is – I mean, a lot of people think that, yeah, I have complete creative freedom. I don't at all. I'm like a set right. decorator. Right. <laughs> so I work closely with the showrunner. And, um, or as Damon puts it, a a good music supervisor is like a librarian. They help you find the book you're looking for and they help you find the book you don't know you're looking for. Right. So, so I, you know, I lead the horse to water when I can, but a lot of ideas are there from the beginning, either from the script stage or from an early process of brainstorming or maybe, you know, I mean, early on in, the series I put together these compilations of stuff that I feel like is our DNA, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but that song in particular, even though I've seen Alvin Ailey perform like five times in my life, because I'm a huge fanatic and I love his music too. That was Damon's idea. You know, that was, he (laughs) told me a story too, that was so amazing. He said, my mom used to, vacuum the house and play Alvin Ailey music and cry. <laughs> so, I mean, that song is very personal for him, probably, you know? I mean, I can't wow. for him, but, you know, that's how that song came into the show.
1: Now, I'm wondering, the, the, the story that John was referencing, the song that he was referencing, as I was talking about in our little introduction, that in the first season, Nora puts on her bulletproof vest. And she calls that escort, and she comes over and wants her to shoot her in the chest. And we were talking about how, like, it could just be, for the purposes of that scene, it could be any loud song. She just needs music loud enough that her neighbors don't hear her get shot, right? And yet, the way that it all comes together with the song being Angel of Death, which is thematically perfect, and the escort's name is Angel, like... At what point do you have the song, do you change the character's name? Like is the scene set? Is that a song that you came up with that date? Like, at what point does the music supervision change little details about the scene to make it all additive in a way that makes it even better?
2: Yeah, I I pitched that idea. Um, but I mean the 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 brief was, yeah, we want loud music here. You know, that what something really loud, probably metal. So I mean, I could go back to the list of songs that I pitched, but I think I put that at, you know, sometimes you're trying ideas with picture and, um, you get like 10 to 20 solid ideas and you think, oh, well, 20 is too many. You know, I'm going to narrow it down. So then you put them in order. I do anyway. I, and I put them in order of my favorites in case the editors don't have time to like go through every one of my crazy ideas. Um, I, I, I say, you know, if you're, if if you don't have a lot of time, go ahead and put them, you know, I put them in order so that they have a, a starting point. And yeah, that was just one that I think it was in the top five. There were other really good ideas that were thematically correct, but yeah, David, uh, Eisenberg, the editor just was, stoked on that one and and then it's <laughs> like tied it into other things like you said he you know he cut to it and um yeah i remember him freaking out about how much he loved it because what you said the angel you know just the title and everything like that i can't remember all the exact tie-ins but yeah you're right it was it was deep there were a lot of connections <laughs> there were a lot of connections now i want to go back and find that playlist of what i pitched
0: so the other i think the other kind of. Obvious, outstanding um, way that music plays into the leftovers is that throughout the first season, um, the opening credits are this very dark, ominous Max Richter um, theme, mm-hmm. um, and he writes—you know—he he wrote the whole score for the for the show, and it's it's beautiful and everything else. Um, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> season two starts, and it's Dement's Let yeah. the mystery be. <laughs> and, and oh. that and like you couldn't contrast two things any more starkly whose whose idea was that
2: that i think was a damon, uh, damon idea i think he just loved that song yeah
0: but it's so weird that you would go from from tonally like shifting entirely the the introduction to um
2: it was weird it was so weird and <laughs> I didn't get it at first. I, it. I thought it was brilliant, you know. And and then to the third season, which yeah, is then a
1: totally different with the take greatest. Up. Yeah, the, I mean, I, I'm sure you hear this in every interview, but like the the Perfect Strangers theme being played. It's like why? Are we, oh, now uh, it's like it's little things like that where the, each season of the show thematically changes. The setting changes. It gets weirder, uh-huh. and so it kind of yes. makes sense for the theme song to get weirder but yeah like to go from that like heavy biblical like oh i'm going to die just from this intro alone and this song alone to just this upbeat cheerful like why what
2: Mm -hmm. you know one of the beautiful things about season three and doing a different song each um episode is that it's just such great picture to work with i loved those main title uh images with the cutouts and um, and I have to be honest, I feel like a million songs would have worked there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah <laughs> it was
2: just it's the kind of picture the way it's it moves and it's you know the the way it moves just goes with so many different styles of music, whether it's dark or light or fun or happy or silly or hip hop or whatever it was. Ray LaMontagne or, you know, whatever it was, it was just like, oh my God, that works, that works, that works, that works. So that, that rarely happens when you have a situation where you have a scene in that case, main title that just works with so many different things. I, I was blown away. By I actually
1: that. have a question that's related. And this might be just very by the book. Like, I, I just don't know how this interacts, but like Max Richter, who might've written my favorite piece of music ever like on the nature of daylight i just think it's like the most beautiful thing that i've ever heard and just depressingly yeah. sad and when i i didn't realize when i watched the show for the first time that he was so like that he did the music right and i'm wondering in your yeah. role like what relationship do you have with him because it's not only is he writing the theme song for the first season but also you know all the scores done by him and so You know, when they're cutting things, either they're adding songs that maybe you're picking or that he's scoring, or how does that relationship work between like composer and music supervisor and specifically also like between you and Max?
2: Max was in Europe the whole time. So he would do the whole he would be at all of our sessions, our spotting sessions, which is, you know, do you guys know what a spotting session is?
0: No. (laughs) Not a clue. (laughs)
2: It's like the spotting session is when you sit together, the filmmaker, you know the writer, the editors, the music editor, music supervisor, the composer, and you just go through, you know, the spots in the show, each spot, whether it's a music, you know, it's when you're, you're kind of close to getting into the final stages of post and you're going to spot the show and you're going to talk about, um, you know, okay, there's a song here, but you know what, let's change it to a score piece. This song, or Or this song is great. It's clear. You can have it. But, you know, maybe let's look for other ideas. It's where you just go through the episode and you talk about each spot and you make sure you confirm like, yeah, this is really what we want to keep. Or let's just say we're way over budget. So during this spotting session, you you talk about solutions. You say, well, this spot is more important than this spot. May I suggest some less expensive ideas for this uh, background spot you know that has a really expensive song in it that's not really worth it because you can't hear it um anyway so it was during that time that I got to know max I never I has, I've still never met him in person but I feel like we're friends I don't know I mean we're not tight but um, <laughs> but he, he's just like amazing and he was always really he was so fun on the spotting sessions because he was watching on his tv monitor and i think he would watch the episode for the first time and so he would watch a scene and he would like his react it was it was always fun to just stop the picture after we showed the scene and and look at max's reaction because
0: it seems cool i i so so i want to talk about the perfect strangers thing (laughs) for a second too because i this is one of my favorite elements of the show and um you know, it, there's a lot of weirdness to the leftovers. It's part of it's part of its its charm, its deliberate strangeness to it. Um, but the Marklin Baker faking his own death storyline uh, is is great. And then when he shows up on the show, and then you use hmm. the Perfect Strangers theme song I, as one of the intros, right? Yep. One of the intros mm-hmm. in season three. Yeah how how do you go about doing that like if you don't get that song then the whole thing falls apart and i would imagine that without it i mean it's like it's like half the joke right is opening with the with the perfect strangers theme um and, and i would imagine that it's the kind of thing that because it was the theme song to another show i have no idea i'm not basing this on any knowledge uh because it's the theme song to another show um it would be more difficult to get the rights to it
2: yes sometimes TV themes and and movie themes and different um uh, pieces of music that are already tied to other properties are sometimes very difficult but sometimes easy you know it just depends it depends on who owns them and who owns the production you're working on sometimes there's a great partnership or maybe it's even under the same umbrella it's just it's 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 true with a lot of things some some clearances are just they seem like they would be so hard and they're not and vice versa. They seem like they'd be so easy and they get completely screwed up. Yeah. But yeah, no, this one is definitely an example. It was written into the script. <laughs> so yeah, that that song was scripted as was the character. And yeah, it's true. If If they didn't get that song, which is why I cleared it, you know, immediately. I mean, I think I may have even cleared it before the script because it was that important because casting, everything relied on it. So, um, it wasn't until we got that song that we were able to, you know, move forward with that episode, but it's hard to remember. It was a long time ago, so I don't remember the exact- Yeah, I just (laughs) want to say that, like, since you did The
1: Leftovers, which is my favorite show of all time, you only worked on my- favorite show from last year and watch one favorite show i think probably from this year in lovecraft country in addition to like a dozen or more other projects like i don't i can't believe that you can't keep everything in your brain because you're just clearly only only making things apparently specifically designed for me like it just i feel like and (laughs) that's and and the music is a large part of it like i said to john i've said to a lot of people that like at a certain point in the leftovers run it felt like damon and the entire team including you were making a show for me specifically like (laughs) it scratched every weird itch like i've I've tried to explain this before and i don't know if i can but my favorite kind of like fiction is like religious in nature but not actually religious where it's like spiritual and like it's basically everything the leftovers did spiritual
2: crisis
1: yes and like depressing and dark and bleak, but also funny and hopeful and optimistic and, like, makes you sad cry and makes you happy cry and, like, has weird references and, like, everything it did. Like, there was a certain point where I'm just like, oh, no, this is... he's like, It's on HBO, but it's just it just for me. Like, it's for me specifically, and so thank you. No question. Just thank you.
2: And thank HBO because they... All three of those shows that you mentioned are I awesome.
1: know. I actually... I have more questions about The Leftovers, but I do have a question about Lovecraft. So... Yeah. I mean, we've only seen, as we're recording, we've only seen two episodes right now. But what I love about the show, and I feel like it's true of probably a lot of, maybe, I don't know, but it blends anachronistic like current songs, like some current hip-hop and stuff with things Mm -hmm. of the era. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how that process works like Mm -hmm. when do you pick is it you or is it a collective effort again Mm -hmm. how do you pick if a song should be from that time or from today or is it just like whatever song fits best you're able to use
2: um it's just a gut feeling like for Mm -hmm. instance the tiara whack song in uh the pilot which is the first modern song that you hear um is just uh kind of that's that's the first time It just sort of jolts you and you realize that, okay, this is going to be that kind of thing. It's going to be, it's not going to, you know, sorry, I'm blah, blah, (laughs) blah. But the characters too, you know, the characters are sort of disembodied, like they're not in a specific time zone, you know? Uh, So that's another reason. I, I mean, I think, and I can't speak for, for Misha and the filmmakers, but I think that's another reason. I mean, she did this kind of style on her last show, Underground, um, where she had modern songs mixed with period songs. And so that's what she's doing here. The The neat thing that the neat layer that we're adding into it, which I've never done before, which goes back to my spoken word and poetry roots that I explained Man in the Moon at the beginning of this podcast, and like how I got involved in music supervision, is that in Lovecraft we're using poetry and spoken word, which is so exciting to me. I can't. When you when you
0: when you said that when you said the thing earlier, I didn't actually I didn't I didn't know that you. I'm I'm not up to date, but I've been watching Lovecraft Country. I love it. And when you said the thing about the spoken word thing, I'm like, it reminded me of the fact that they've been doing that Lovecraft Country, and I was like, (laughs) so is that something that that. You pitched the idea of having just James Baldwin speaking as the soundtrack?
2: No, that was in the script and oh, but wow. there's okay. some cool spoken word coming up. Um The Whitey on the Moon was there from the beginning in fact the episode is named after right. it so it's in, in the whole yep. episode. And then um and then I think coming up in this next in the third episode is something really cool that I pitched. So they came to me after they started and said, you know, we've been, you know, we've got these neat, they called it found sound, where to me I call it spoken word, but found sound, like old recordings of of different uh, voices. And they said, do you have, you know, could you go on a a search, you know, research project to, to pull some audio, some clearable stuff? And I got chills. I said, you have no idea that this is... You're talking, you, I don't know if there's any other music supervisor that could like say a qualified yes, because I have so much experience with that, that form. And I would love to uh, share with you all the, (laughs) the music that I pitched for, for all the other stuff. So anyway, it was fun.
0: I I want to get back to you for a second. What's your music education? Um, Because, you know, again, you're a librarian, and I think that's a really great way to describe it. But, like, librarians are awesome, at least like they used to be before computers.
1: Um, And they had to have... They're still awesome. They still still are,
0: right. But, like, they're underappreciated now. Um, But the idea of being someone who is a a director, right, or a directory um, is really important. And that is something that I, obviously I, as you, as you DJ and, and uh, work on radio shows and that sort of thing, there's some of it obviously is sort of through osmosis. Right. But um, when did you kind of start just loving music in general? Like what was your, what was your entry point as a kid?
2: Yeah. Um, Thanks for asking. Um, I mean, so I'll, I'll try to like tell you in a nutshell. I mean, I, I, I was in band. I played clarinet for like, Maybe one year, so that wasn't. I went to Interlochen because I was passionate about theater and dance. Interlochen summer camp, you know, and it's also a a arts uh, um, high school. But I didn't go to the the school. I went to the camp for like three summers, and growing up, I just I really was fascinated with acting and dancing. That was my passion. And so my whole life was dedicated to that until all the way through college. So so like interlocking, wanting to be an actor, wanting to move to New York to work in musical theater, and then going in then in college I that was my focus. I have a degree in theater with a minor in dance. Um, and then the second I graduated from college, I kind of felt insecure about acting. You know, I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do now? Go out there and audition. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified. So what happened was I was kind of hanging out with a lot of musicians and, you know, it was my senior year of college. I went to SMU in Dallas and, um, you know i it was just became my my scene and i landed a radio show and then that was when i just kind of never looked back like, that's when i thought okay this this combines my passion for music and a little bit of performance yeah. even though yeah yeah sure djing and voice and all that isn't isn't acting, but it, it kind of relates. So anyway, so I, I thought, oh my God, this is perfect for me. But then the neat, I think this was a huge part of shaping my mind, my musical thing, because no, I don't play anything. <laughs> you know. And when I went to Interlock and I did, when I was a kid, I took a mu- music theory class and I was absolutely mind boggled. I had no idea what they were talking about. I still don't. But... <laughs> But anyway, so so when I started DJing full time, which was my shift was Monday through Friday from midnight to five. So that's a huge chunk of time in the middle of the night when no one is listening and you can literally afford to experiment. Yeah. So I would take we had a great library at this is the station in Dallas called the K-E-R-A. And they had a great library. I would take a chunk of folk records out and literally sit them down put them on the turntable and put them on the air without listening to them in advance. Or I would take a chunk of blues or classical and I would learn as I was going along. Um, So that was a huge, great amount of time to spend listening and experimenting and talking about the music on the air. Um, But I don't know since then, the other thing that I find interesting is I remember going to see bands and watching a band play and being really confused like who's playing what like you know there's a bass player and a drummer and you know but not really being able to differentiate things that much and now that it's the opposite of that like I can I can hear things differently I mean I hope so after all this time but I just remember that that's um Something that's changed a lot. You know, I never used to listen to lyrics when I was young. I was just going on how something felt. But now lyrics are super, super important to me, especially with. Uh, music supervision and sing.
1: Mm-hmm. how do you train a brain to do that because like <laughs> my my favorite band is radiohead and i if you offered me a lot of money to give you like full lyrics to songs i wouldn't like i've heard these songs hundreds of times and i have no idea what tom york is singing in most yeah. of them and it doesn't it doesn't matter to me like i, yeah. I like that about mm-hmm. it but like how do you train or does it or can you not is it just something like you, you consciously have to do but like how do lyrics become important? Is it just something that you, cog- like that you have to consciously change?
2: I think you tune into it after a while. Like you, you really are like yeah. you. You're wearing your music supervision hat um, probably most of the time. And I mean, I'm always I'm always thinking if whether it's a Latin song and or you know I don't know whatever something in English or you're always looking for that universal theme. You're not looking for it. You're just noticing it yeah. um, or not. You know, there's a lot of songs that don't have a real, they're like a lot of Dylan's songs. They have deep meaning, but they're complicated. They're complex. They're not, it's not like a, a simple message. It's a complex message. Whereas there's a lot of sync songs that have a very simple message. Like the sun is shining today and it's a beautiful day. That's what the song is about. It's obvious. Whereas a Dylan song like Gates of Eden, I've listened to that so many times trying to like figure out what he's talking about, um, but he's talking about so many things. Another thing I do is in my iTunes where I store my music and keep the metadata of, of most of my songs, I, as I'm listening to a song, I type along while I'm listening so that I can oh, that's type so cool. huh. key, key lyrics so that they're more searchable. And so if I do need something that has needs a sunshine song or whatever, but that's more complicated than that, I can type in key lyrics. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I've trained myself to listen to lyrics and to listen to other things. And I don't know how you do it except you decide you just to do, do it, it. joey yeah. he's saying
0: he's saying he's a creep and a weirdo and he's asking you what the hell what the hell he's doing here um it's not you know those it's not that hard yeah uh no i, <laughs> I do also think liza that there's a certain part of the uh there's a certain brain functioning and wiring that's different for different people um when i hear you talking about that I, I i relate to it because i also like i'm a bad musician and i was bad at music theory but there's something that like your, your brain just grows to identify certain things i i remember very distinctly one time like i listened to rem all the time when i was in high school it was my favorite band and, and i remember at one point like on the five thousandth listening to green that I started decided like I was listening to the bass line, right? I just and I could just isolate it out. And I could just just kind of home in on that and just hear it and 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 pick it out. And I'm pretty good at memorizing lyrics and I do it sort of it just sort of um You know, it gets into the into the blood, but um, yeah, I think Joey. It's basically just a matter of different brains functioning in a in a in a different way. Like I suck at math, but um, I'm good at accidentally memorizing lyrics. Yeah,
2: I'm fascinated by politicians, like how do they know how to angle something or spin something (laughs) or how do they keep their reputation clean or not or whatever? It seems like such a mystery to me. Same with editorial. Like I don't know how you take all these dailies and you fashion them into a story. So there's a lot of jobs that are sort of a mystery to me. And then I would say one of the, yeah, I mean, music supervision, the other mystery to a lot of people is how do you clear a song or how do you get the rights to a song? And that's...
0: Yeah. that's <laughs> a, how did you learn how to do that? That's like... <laughs> trial and
2: error all the way, 100% yeah. trial and error, trial and error and research and research. But, um, but, the, but, but now it's something that I can do and I can offer that as a service. There's a pretty high barrier of entry
1: to that so and sometimes john you just got to let the mystery be <laughs> <laughs> i have a i have a question that specifically about the leftovers but like kind of about any show that you do but i'm just thinking because as i was re-watching leftovers like when you are working on a show and you're getting to know the characters and the stories and so on and so forth like do you envision like or develop either consciously or subconsciously like playlists for each character like specifically like, on the leftovers you know, Jill in flashbacks, like singing, listening to music and singing along and whatever and dancing around and, you know, the guilty remnant in the car and they're playing like kiss on my list. It's just like, wait, what? Like do, you, like, do you have ideas of like the songs that these people maybe in the before time or the after time, like, just have a repository that like, oh, Jill's listening to a song on her iPod. It might be this hip hop song or whatever. Like, do you, do you think of characters like that? Or is it more just like moment to moment, like what's right for the scene?
2: Absolutely, but it, but not, not immediately. I can't really tell that immediately. There's a lot of subtlety that comes when you get to finally see picture. So the answer is yes, but I don't. I can't. I can't really figure it out ahead of time until I get involved in a project and after some experience with it um, is when I can do character playlists. But I do really, really like like you just asked yeah, the second part of it it's mostly scene by scene and and case by case for the most part. Cool. But yeah.
0: Um, last question I want to ask you, uh, which has nothing to do with your career <laughs> and nothing to do with music, but I'm, Good. I'm, I'm <laughs> just for fun yeah. because I know that you, you're not just a uh, contributor to the leftovers, but also a fan. Um, oh so God. let's have, let's have, let's have this discussion because I think this is something that Joey and I disagree on. Oh, wow. um, the story, the story that Nora tells at the end of the series oh. um, about, about going to the, other reality and seeing
1: her family and coming back—is um, she lying?
2: Oh my god, you guys are putting me on the spot. I need to rewatch that episode. I, I mean, should.
1: you could take the opt-out answer, like I'm going to do. Like I don't care. It just—I'm it...
2: trying to remember how I felt, and I really don't care. Um, yeah, because I,
1: I, I—you want to let the mystery I, be?
0: Yes,
2: <laughs> I do. <laughs> and, I, and I remember there being so much discussion about the meaning of the end. Yeah. But I do didn't Damon just always say it's whatever you want it to be or something like that, you know? He says
0: that a
1: lot. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's also like why I love the leftovers. Like being being an, a lost apologist for so long like guys, like just get over the fact like I know like I know that you're not like I know that things aren't answered, but then like from day 1 he's like we're not answering questions. I'm like, "Cool. Like you learned. Yeah, not that yeah, he needed yeah. to like learn a lesson, but like just like he's like, oh no, th- like I'm. This is gonna turn people off, and good. Like I don't want to deal with it. Like we're not answer. Like I love that about it. Like it's so, yeah. like it's approachable, but it's also so hard to permeate sometimes because like he's willfully. Like they're like, oh, we're we're not gonna. They who who knows where they went. We're never gonna tell you, and that's not what the show is about. Right.
2: Or maybe there's no answer. Maybe there is no
0: answer. Well, I also think like one of the, I think one of the one of the reasons why um the music to that show sticks out so much is is that in a lot of ways the series itself functions very much like music very much like a song um in that you know in, in that you know it's it's not it's not like there is one answer and it really is about the experience of watching it and um, going through the, the journey and through the story which you know it seems to be why it's like it I said this to Joey before we started I don't know if I, I mentioned it to you but to me like the music in that show feels like another character right it feels like another part of the storytelling and I think part of the reason for that is is exactly as you say like I don't think it matters either um, what 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 how to how to read what happened to Nora but um, I do think, you know, sort of thinking about the answer is 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 productive and fun in the same way that that experiencing a song and then and then sort of reflecting on it um, is is productive and fun. Absolutely, that's just my two cents. Yeah,
2: sons. I agree. <laughs> I agree for sure.
0: I know. I said this last thing. I, I I do have one more thing I want to ask you. Is there an impact that when when you work on a show and 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 work on the music um, that does it affect the way when you go back and watch it as a consumer, like as a as a um, someone observing the art? That uh, does it change the way that you see it at all? Like, it, do it take you out of it at all, or does it put you in it further? Do you mean
2: like when I'm watching the finished product? Um, do I like maybe, for instance, think about the other song, what could have been? Or
1: yes, that's exactly <laughs> I'm sure what that I mean. never yeah. happens yeah. a single time. <laughs>
2: um yeah absolutely and there's certain song choices that i regret maybe i don't i doubt i can't think of any regrets in leftovers i can't but there are plenty of times when you when you think uh i really tried to Yeah, no, it happens. You know what I find amazing about watching the final version is like if it's a big special effects show like Watchmen, Lovecraft special effects and Watchmen special effects, they all came together at the very last second. So I didn't often get to see the final effects. That to me changes your experience like majorly. So I'm watching Lovecraft right now too. Because I haven't seen, you know, the final final effects until I see it on television. So yeah, no, I, I sometimes watch and hear the music and think, ah, I wish it was louder. Or I do sometimes think I would have cut it differently or or, you know, I didn't really mean for them to use the intro that long. I wanted them to kind of cut to the meat of the song or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> um, but that's okay. I try to just let you know, I, I don't want, I can't worry about all that. You know, I just have to do the best I can from the beginning and let it go. And, um, but sure, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, obsessive type personality so i do think about like
0: that and like when you're djing you have that feedback right away right because like if people aren't dancing you're like all right i, I gotta change this but you can't do yeah. that when you're watching yeah. on tv and you have no idea what the audience is how they're right. judging you well <laughs> at
2: that point it has already been judged by a lot of people i guess
0: <laughs> right fair. And for
2: the most part it's um, you kind of know the reaction but yeah
0: Liza, thank you so much for uh, talking to us um, again. Yeah, thank you. This was
2: really H-Fan fun. Um, and I'm so happy that you're Leftovers Fanatics. That's just makes me thrilled. And I, I feel like some people are rediscovering that show because Watchmen is, you know, front and center. And then you know, if you have an HBO Max subscription, I feel like a lot of people are kind of discovering leftovers for the first time, so I'm really happy about that.
0: Anything you want to plug before we go?
2: My Spotify profile, please. You know, you search Liza Richardson, L-I-Z-A, but you know, there's a couple different people with the same name or She's the one who a has photo followers of though. Me as a cloud.
0: <laughs> Type Liza Richardson, look for clouds, look for followers, and get great music. That's yeah. the the recipe.
1: Yes.
2: That is it. That is the recipe. That's the recipe for um, fun. Thanks so thank much. Thank you. Guys Thanks, Liza.
0: Really... Okay, thank you.
1: Everybody's worried about where they're going, going to go and the whole thing's done. Nobody knows what's the sentence, so it's
2: all the same to me. I think I'll just let,
0: let the mystery be. be. Some say. or a little sweet. Hey, Joey, welcome back.